You're listening to the MLS Multiplex Podcast with contributors from MLSMultiplex.com. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the MLS Multiplex Podcast. Per usual, it is Drew here with Josh and Connor getting ready to talk to you about all things MLS that's happened over the week. Um, but before we get into our MLS, I, I I think I know how Josh is doing. I know I know how Josh is doing. So we're going to, he gets an off week unless he wants to tell us how he's doing. So Connor, you're, I, I imagine you're not having a bad of a week as Josh. So how, how are you doing? How's your week been? Well, we're definitely going to find out how Josh is doing because I want to hear it directly from the source, how he's doing. Uh, but all right. Uh, this week's going to be crazy for me. I had midterm this morning or this afternoon, which was stress to say the least. Uh, I got a 1500 word paper due on Thursday, which our prof just sent the info on. So I'm okay. Uh, off reading week. So I got like half a semester to go and then we're done for Christmas. But yeah, it's been interesting week to say the least and we'll dive into exactly why it was an interesting week supporter shield josh how are you doing apart from incredibly depressed you know i'm not really that sad just because i you know i you expect disappointment at this point as an atlanta fan and to top it all off the other things i cared about also disappointed me so I would I wouldn't necessarily say I'm depressed. I'd definitely say I'm a little numb, a little apathetic to what's going on. It was definitely a roller coaster of a week as a Braves fan, because a week ago was when we were finishing up the podcast. We were we still had the twinkle in our eye. We, we there was still a chance for our Braves, and uh, they put up a put up a good fight. At the end of the day, they did way better than I expected. So I'm not too sad about them losing to the Dodgers in seven. Granted, the way it happened, not the best, but we don't have to continue talking about that. But Spurs let me down. They had their 3-0 lead, blew it in the final 10 minutes to West Ham of all teams. It was That was brutal. The, the worst part about that game is they were on fire to start. Spurs just sprang out of the gates, and they were just 3-0 in the first like 15 minutes, and they were playing wonderful. And then at the very end, they just rip your heart out. So, hey, the Falcons won. Completely worthless, meaningless game against somehow a worse team. And uh, Atlanta United lost, which we will talk about. That'll that'll be fun since they played Toronto. But, yeah, definitely definitely a little numb from all that. Beside that, it was a pretty good, pretty good week. And uh, I am looking forward to, like you said, in MLS alone, it was a very, very interesting week, especially the last couple of days. Things got a little spicy. So I'm looking forward to to talking about that. Drew, how are you doing? I imagine very similar to myself. You got the extra bonus of watching Georgia mess up in the second half of their game. I did, yeah. Athens is a pretty bummed out place right now between Georgia losing to Alabama after having, I don't remember what the lead was at halftime, but they again had the lead at halftime, and then Alabama came back and won. I don't know the exact score. I just remember Stetson Bennett, the Georgia quarterback, threw like three interceptions that game. So I'm, I'm like you, very just 
this is just how it goes now, I guess. <laughs> like, I said Dodgers in seven last week, and I guess I'm right, so I can be a little joyful about that. But, yeah, when I thought, I thought they had it, because I have, the last time they were in the World Series, I was like three months old. So I don't remember them ever being in the World Series. I don't remember them ever winning a playoff series until they beat the Reds and then the Marlins. So this was my first real run of the Braves in the playoffs. Um, But yeah, just numb, just getting used to it. The Falcons' win was kind of eh. I mean, seeing Julio get a touchdown was pretty cool. And I think he got two, which was good for fantasy football. Um, But as far as Europe goes, Newcastle United got thumped by Manchester United. So that was kind of a bummer, and we have like Everton in a couple weeks, which apparently is like a loss already because Everton's weirdly good. <laughs> My roommate's a Liverpool fan, so he like hates Everton now because of the Virgil Van Dyke injury. But so it was a whirlwind weekend here in Athens. But sticking with Europe, uh, we had a couple young North Americans playing. Christian Pulisic finally got in for Chelsea. Uh, he did not score a goal. He did not get an assist, but he got like a weird hockey secondary assist because I don't remember who I think, oh, I forgot who actually scored the goal, but Pulisic was a really big deal in the buildup, so that was really good. Uh, Serginho Dest started for Barcelona. He came so close to getting assist for Barcelona, but that uh, Messi guy hit the post on a shot, so I don't know who that Messi guy is, but he's got to figure it out. But still, that's like, I think Josh talks about this a lot. It's still weird to think that we were inches away from a young American player assisting arguably the greatest player of all time. But Serginho Des almost assisting Messi. Um, Giorena, again, starting for Dortmund, had a really good game. Uh, another hockey assist um, between Erling Holland and Marco Royce. And Alfonso Davies started for Bayern Munich. I didn't watch any of the Bayern Munich game. Connor, did you catch any of it? How did Davies do this weekend? I think I caught a little bit of it. Honestly, I can't remember. Um, it's been a whirlwind, like last four or five days. Um, but I, yeah, I can't really speak on that. I do want to ask you: Is Lionel Messi the greatest player on the planet? You're saying right now or of all time? We'll do right now, and we'll do of all time in a second. I'll say yes for right now. And I don't feel comfortable saying yes for best of all time. Not not fully comfortable, at least. I think I'm going to agree with Josh, just because I don't know who else you could say is better than him right now. I don't think Cristiano he's... Cristiano Ronaldo? Maybe, but I mean, no. still, I was always... As a kid, I was always on the messy side. I have no idea why, but I was always on the messy side. But no, he's not the greatest of all time. Uh, I'm kind of a punk when it comes to that because I want to see him win a World Cup first before I can say that. He came close in 2014 against Germany, but I'm not, I don't think he's the greatest of all time. What do you think, Connor? Uh, I think Ronaldo fans are going to hate our podcast from now on because I also side with Messi. <laughs> um, so if you're a Ronaldo fan, come at us. I'm ready. Um, but that's interesting that we all side with Messi. What about all time? I, I think... I think it's hard to pick Messi over like Pele and Maradona just because, you know, they're not, they're not playing in the same era. Like, honestly, like it's a kind of easy to compare Messi and Ronaldo. Like you can argue, for example, Ronaldo did it in all these different countries. He's been successful everywhere he's gone. And that is impressive by itself. But then like Messi's like literal box score stats 
I mean, the guy averages, what, a goal or an assist a game in his entire career, and that's like some 800 matches, and, you know, the magic when he dribbles. I mean, he just does, like, the craziest, most insane things. So, you get, a, at least with those two, you get a direct comparison. We can't do anything about comparing them to Pele and Maradona. So, I don't, and plus, we, the three of us, did not get the luxury of watching those guys play, you know, in the in their prime. So... That's why I, I'm I can't 100% give it to Messi, although obviously he's got a, an excellent case. I think it's nearly impossible to I even this is my thought process when it comes to MJ and LeBron that it's nearly impossible to compare the greatest of all time when there's so many like different eras and there's so much going on outside of it. I think all you can do as a player is put yourself in that conversation again. If Messi wins a World Cup or even just an international trophy. I think his claim is a little more legitimate to the greatest of all time, but I guess I would lean more towards Pele of being the best of all time. Interesting. Yeah, I saw someone on Twitter, I can't remember who it was, but they said GOAT shouldn't be spelled G-O-A-T, should be spelled G-O-T-E, greatest of their era. And I think Hmm. that fits the description a little bit better because it is so hard to judge players across... Uh, eras, I guess, and different play styles. Like you look at what if Wayne Gretzky were playing today, he wouldn't be in the NHL because he couldn't raise the puck. But the guy put up two thousand plus points. So, uh, so it's a it's an interesting conversation. I think we should have more of it. But at least somebody in that conversation has played in North America and Diego Maradona and uh, Pele. But let's jump to. I guess we've sort of hit all of Europe, haven't we? There's not really much we need to add. I think so. I think we talked about all the highlights. Not a whole lot going on in Europe, but just a couple solid performances from some players. Yeah, it was pretty dry week uh, as they came back from the international break. But MLS was not dry at all. Uh, you might say it's the complete opposite in completely on fire. Um Let's start with the positive news that happened today with an MLS unveiling uh, their steps that they're going to take to combat racism. Uh, the league has contributed a million to the Black Players Coalition uh, towards the growth of the group, the future, and uh, six sort of main aspects created like immediately. Um, they created a MLS diversity committee, which includes uh, members of the league, front office which includes managers players uh players of our members of the coalition black players coalition but what did you guys sort of think about this announcement today do you think this was good timed or i don't really have a problem with the timing i i think this is just something that was probably finalized maybe over the weekend and then today was the soonest they could do it in terms of like a business day i guess like a like a weekly announcement sort of deal I, I think this is fantastic. You know, you see lots of times the way corporations, for example, handle this topic. They like to just blow smoke and say words, but there's not really a lot of action to back it up usually. So I think it's great that not only did MLS say we want to help contribute and do our part as a large voice, but they are, they are jump-starting it and they're being very clear in what they're doing. I think this press release was fantastic. It lays out the bullet points. It lays out the the different things. And now the next step is 
will we see results from it? And But just getting this far, I think is fantastic. And I'm super excited about the money they're pitching in to help grow the Black, Pair, Black Players Coalition. So I'm very excited by this. And I really love that they're, they're putting some action behind their words. Yeah, absolutely. I don't have a whole lot to say that Josh didn't say. It's just good to see the league putting, literally putting their money where their mouth is, um, like you mentioned. So many times you see organizations and leagues kind of just talk about these issues when it's convenient for them and then just pass over. So it's good to see the league um, doing something about that. And then also the NWSL is doing something similar. I think it's the Black Women's Players Coalition. It's something very similar, kind of the same thing for the NWSL. So it's really good to see soccer in the States and in North America um, taking initiative in these issues. Connor, what did you think about this coming out? I think it's great. Uh, it's a huge financial contribution from MLS, which they're not a huge league. And I think the salary cap's what, like four-ish million? So that's not a small amount for a league of this size. Uh, so seeing that's huge. And the willingness for them to get involved with the Black Perry's Players Coalition, which... We haven't seen in some other leagues, cough, cough, NHL, uh, but it's it's just really, it's good to see because we're actually seeing a league and a group of influential, influential people, I guess, uh, get involved in trying to combat racism and trying to really make a difference, which I think is a huge huge step in terms of getting equality at some point in North America and on this planet. But do you guys have anything you want to add before I start to rant? No, I'm excited for this rant. That's the only thing I have to add to it. All right, this should be fun. Uh, So if you haven't been paying attention over the last three days, I guess, two, three days, the Independent Supporters Council uh, and the Foundation of the Supporters Shield or something like that, they made a decision, and this decision was interesting. So to clarify real quick, it's the Supporters Shield Foundation that publicly made the decision, with, and then the Independent Supporters Councils are apparently like under that is what it, is what it sounds like so far in the situation. Just wanted to throw that out there. So it's the, the Supporter Shield Foundation that made the initial announcements. Because, and they're the ones who made the initial decision, like they're the ones who made the decision. They told the Independent Supporters Council, this is what we're going to do, and then did it. And nobody somehow batted an eye until Twitter exploded is probably the best way of putting it. Specifically, Toronto FC, Philadelphia Union, those two Twitters. Um, But yeah, they canceled the Supporters' Shield for 2020 for no good reason. And apart from, I think maybe Red Bull's Twitter was sort of supportive of it, and probably Montreal Twitter just because they like to see Toronto FC burn. It's not ideal, per se. I'll let you guys go first before I talk, uh, so get sort of your opinions on it. But, yeah, what did you sort of think about this situation? Do you think it was the right decision? Where do you sort of stand on all this? 
So before I say what I think about this specific situation, I don't know if I've said it before in a podcast, but I am not a supporter shield enthusiast. That might be the way to describe it. I don't like the supporter shield. I very much would rather win MLS Cup than the shield. So I don't like, that's the American in me coming out. I love playoffs. I love seeing teams beat other good teams to win championships. I don't like the concept of ties. So very weird that I have a soccer podcast because this is the only sport where tying really happens. So I'm not very big into the supporter shield. Um, When Atlanta United lost it, it was kind of a bummer. But when they won MLS Cup, I totally forgot about supporter shield. So I'm not crazy about it. I think it's just this kind of European, we want to be Europe type thing. But I understand why the league has it. So I'm not crazy about the supporter shield. But I think this was the wrong decision to not award it. I think Connor had a tweet about it that slap an asterisk on it all you want to. And I think there should be an asterisk beside it. But I don't know if that makes the supporter shield illegitimate. If that makes sense, the shield is for sure different. Um, you're not playing strength schedule is not equal, right? And it wasn't equal anyway because you have different teams playing different teams. So strength of schedule really shouldn't be an issue. It's probably a little more different this year because you have the whole Toronto playing Canada, only Canadian teams there for a while, which I think that justifies putting an asterisk beside it. But I don't understand just not totally awarding it. I think. You should put an asterisk beside Supporter Shield winners, and if the fans think it's illegitimate, then that's on them. Uh, I'm sure Toronto FC, Connery might have more of a say in this. I don't. I'm sure Toronto FC fans will take the Shield as legitimate, given just the crazy season their players have had to endure. But I think it should still be awarded. Um, again, they're still talking about it, which we'll probably talk about in a second. You know, like Connor said, Twitter kind of exploded, so I think people are talking about reversing decision or just thinking it through more. So I'm not a Spurs Shield enthusiast. I would much rather have MLS Cup than the Shield. But with that being said, I still think it should have been awarded, slap an asterisk beside it, and let the fans decide whether or not it was legitimate or not. So I'm of a completely different mind when it comes to this. I think the Spurs Shield is the best trophy you can win. I think it's a true indicator of how good your team is, how good your team has been built because a full season requires you to use nearly every aspect of your team. Whereas in the playoffs, you can get a lucky break here or there. First, you know, soccer in and of itself is a relatively chaotic game uh, in, in, in a vacuum. And when you throw that into a playoffs and knockout scenario, it's even more ridiculous at times. Uh, you know, you look at Euro 2004, for example, Greece going all the way to the final um, that's just, you know, and then, then they did it by just not really playing kind of, kind of doing this anti thing. So I think the supporter shield is the most important trophy you can win. That being said, as an Atlanta fan, kind of like what Drew said, you know, I think I can value the supporter shield more now that Atlanta already has an MLS cup and a U.S. open cup. That'd be kind of the next addition into the, the cabinet. And yes, most people want their team to win MLS cup. That being said, this decision to not award the Supporter Shield is absurd, it's laughable, it's extremely disappointing. Not necessarily because of the decision itself, but the way this decision has come about. So the Supporter Shield Foundation came out and said, we don't want to award the, the Shield. I, I can listen to that initial decision. 
Their reasoning makes no sense whatsoever. The whole unbalanced schedule thing is stupid because literally every year in MLS, we play an unbalanced schedule. The league hasn't played an actual balanced schedule in well over a decade since expansion started to take off. So that's really stupid. And then the other aspect, not having fans in the stands or putting an asterisk on it is just dumb. Okay, you can just throw a big, big old fat asterisk at the end of 2020 for everything, everywhere, in the entire universe probably. There's probably other crazy stuff happening that we have no idea about. That being said, to, to put an asterisk just by the supporter shield is dumb in and of itself. I get it. The Canadian teams have their own situation. And you have a club like Colorado not even playing as many games as everybody else. Not even close, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But I just think it's ridiculous. I think it's super disappointing. And just to provide a quick update, the Supporter Shield Foundation, they tweeted out around 1 p.m. today, filming, uh, filming, recording this on Monday night. They said, We are currently holding meetings with supporter group representatives about the original decision in light of new information and feedback we have received. I'm assuming what they mean by that is, we hear you all yelling at us and we're probably going to change our minds, which they should. I also want to point out another reason they they wanted to not award the shield is because, and I, I can't remember where I saw this, so I can't I can't remember the validity of it. But they said something like they they didn't know how to get the shield to the winner because it's currently in L.A. right now with LAFC, and and that's a big part of it awarding the shield like the fans do it themselves. But Toronto's pretty much got this thing wrapped up, and they just made an agreement with Connecticut to host fans at their games. So that's not a reason either. And Philadelphia, who's in second, they're allowed to have fans at their games. So this whole thing is just stupid. And, and MLS also has not jumped in and made a full decision. Like, what what's the point of owning the league as commissioner, Don Garber, if you're not going to just step in and say, no, we're doing the supporter shield? So this whole thing is just stupid, in my opinion. And disappointing. Very disappointing. I concur. And... Anybody who says, oh, the schedule plays a part in it, I'm about to dunk on that so hard you won't even know what hit you. So, Martin Bailey is uh, a Toronto FC stats guru, I guess. He keeps track of literally everything. Uh, I would be shocked if you find a stat that he couldn't keep track of and hasn't kept track of. But he posted basically the balance how balanced the schedule was of the teams that are in contention. So Philadelphia, Toronto, Columbus, Seattle, Orlando, Portland, and SKC. He did all the math for this. And basically, the team with the hardest schedule is Philadelphia. They're in second. Team with the second hardest schedule is Toronto. So anybody saying, oh, you got to play games in Canada, we have the second hardest schedule out of every single competitive team this this season. In addition, they've been playing every single game in the U.S., not at home. I think they got to go home for like the first time last night. They've been doing this all on the road in Connecticut. So if you're trying to say, oh, but Toronto FC got to play Canadian teams. Great. They got to play in this U.S. for six months or three months. Like, it's absurd. It's a joke that anybody would consider that a, an actual argument in terms of 
in terms of trying to justify not awarding the trophy for the best regular season team. It's just stupid. And the five people who made this decision, Vanny said it, they're like the kids on the soccer field who would take the ball away when things weren't going their way. That's coming from Greg Vanny. Michael Bradley has been outspoken on, on this topic. Omar Gonzalez has. Uh, Chris Mavinga has. And that's just on Toronto FC. I saw Alejandro Bedoya put out something as well. So if you're trying to argue, oh, but this is a, for the supporters, this is a supporters award, this means something to the players too. So trying to justify that you're not going to award it because the supporters can't get it when it means something or it means just as much to the players as it does to the supporters, if not even more, come on. Like, get your head out of the sand, honestly. And hopefully they switch the decision. It sounds more and more like they're not going to be complete idiots and have MLS simply create a new award because they're being insane. Uh, but either way, it's just stupid. All of their arguments are dumb. And... Like, I don't know why they thought that this was a good decision or the right decision, personally. I just don't get it. And they're going to live with the mistakes. People are not going to respect this organization as much after this. Especially as, especially with how hard they've tried to defend themselves and tried to justify the decision when very clearly people didn't agree with it. So maybe that's just my echo chamber as a Toronto FC supporter, but all the replies on Twitter I saw kind of agreed with what I'm saying. So I don't know. Do either of you have anything you want to add to this? I want to ask you, Connor, as it looks like Toronto FC is going to run away with the supporter shield. If you, if Toronto FC wins support, because this is an interesting argument i think not really argument but just dynamic to the two trophies specifically with the new york red bulls given they have not won mls cup but they've won supporter shield if toronto fc runs away with the shield like we expect them to but does not win mls cup does that make the shield any less value to you as a fan i don't particularly value this shield as highly as mls cup because mls cup is the league championship but I'll take any silverware we can get. I think any team will do that. So winning one and not winning the other, I fine. Like Seattle's done, or Seattle have done the opposite. Uh, LAFC won the league and didn't win MLS Cup, and we don't think badly on that supporter shield. So I don't think that plays any sort of part in diminishing the supporter shield for me as a or for me for me for i as a tfc supporter but yeah it's it's just so i i can't fathom how they thought that this was the right decision in 2020 potentially the hardest season to ever do well especially when the leading team is canadian and haven't played games in their own country in their own stadium lived in their own houses for like two months now. I just don't know how they're trying to justify that and how they're trying to justify the fact that Philadelphia don't earn it or if somehow Columbus come back, if they don't earn it, if Seattle don't earn it. Like, 
It just doesn't make sense to me because you're playing competition either way. You're playing teams in MLS who you would be playing even if it were a regular season. It just happens to be more compact. I don't know. I... It's very, very frustrating, and you'll see my opinions of it on Twitter. Uh, and I should shout out Martin Bailey because he was uh, used on TSN's preview show last night. Um, but if you want to check out the entire sort of, I guess, the math he did and how he figured out all the standings, uh, you can go to his Twitter at Martin, which is not an I M A R T Y N underscore Bailey. B-A-I-L-E-Y. So go and check out his work. Uh, he does some crazy good stuff, even though he writes for Waking the Red, which competes with us. But um, do you guys have anything you want to add to this before we move on to other big MLS news, including Robbie Keane potentially coaching the LA Galaxy, which I'm just seeing now. Who threw this in the dock and when did this come out? I I threw it in the dock. Uh, yeah, this... <laughs> It's funny that all this news has been happening over the last couple of days, so this kind of got pushed away. But yes, there were some some small reports coming out that Robbie Keane was in the running to take over the job at, at LA, which honestly isn't the craziest shock. I mean, they're terrible right now. That being said, they did win last night, one nothing. Thankfully, twenty-two-year-old Kai Koronik, I think is how you say his last name. He scored in stoppage time over Vancouver. So that tells you all you need to know about how things are going for the LA Galaxy right now. Uh, but for real, I don't know the validity of the report. I think someone in the UK heard something and then it sort of started to get picked up just a little bit. He's never managed a team before. So again, don't know how true these reports are. That being said, just from quickly scanning through his Wikipedia... I didn't realize this, but of all the clubs that Robbie Keane has played for, that's Wolves, Inter Milan, Leeds United, Tottenham, Liverpool, Celtic, West Ham, LA Galaxy, Aston Villa, right? Those are the big name clubs that he's played for. The team that he's appeared for the most is Tottenham with two hundred and or 306 appearances. And in second are the LA Galaxy with 165. And then the next closest is Wolves with like 87. So LA Galaxy... Clearly a big part of Robbie Keane's career. I mean, he stayed there for uh, six years, and he played at Tottenham for about seven years, so probably the two biggest clubs for him. He could. He could come back and take over LA Galaxy. Again, he has no managerial experience, so I guess this would kind of be like Zinedine Zidane taking over Real Madrid kind of deal or Andrea Pirlo taking over Juventus. But something to keep an eye out on probably GBS does have another year on his contract. He's supposed to coach through the end of next year. And when asked about being on the hot seat, hot seat, that's what he said. He said, we have a contract to honor for the next year. So and that's what we expect to do. But that's also kind of what Dan Quinn was saying a lot before the Falcons fired him, like after a couple of weeks. So, but winning, winning cures all ailments. They did win last night. Did Patrick Vieira manage before he managed NYCFC? I don't think so. I think that was his first managerial position. I'll, I'll follow up on that. But Well, if it is, it isn't unheard of of a manager starting his career in MLS. So I don't think we can necessarily rule it out. Whether or not it's real and 
not some less than stellar reporting, uh, should we say. I could see it. He's a big-name striker who made his name on LA Galaxy. Maybe he can rein in Chicharito, but he is very bad, so it'll probably take some miracle work. Um, Yeah, I think a change is coming there either way with how bad they are, but it's... Let's just say I could see it happening. Yeah, I for sure agree with that, Connor. I think because I'm looking right now, and he is has won three MLS Cups with LA Galaxy, and is the club's second highest goal scorer, only behind Landon Donovan, who manages San Diego Loyal Loyals mm-hmm. Loyals. Yeah. Yes. All right. Cool. I guessed right. So I'm with you, Connor. I could totally see it happening. I saw Talk Sport reported on it and they were very like definite in their reporting like they said uh gbs got fired earlier this week and this was reported the 16th which obviously i don't know about that because he coached him yesterday to a one nothing win versus vancouver but yeah i could totally see it happening i think with a club like la galaxy there's such a brand right in the united states when you think when non-mls fans might be a way to put it when they think of mls a lot of the time they think of david beckham in the la galaxy that's one of those bigger brands in the league and to see one of your bigger clubs be dead last in the west behind the colorado rapids who have played how many less games than them hold on i'm pulling that up right now but to be behind the colorado rapids who have played four less games than you and you are one point behind them and you're arguably the biggest brand in the league. That's not a great look. So I could totally see it happening. I would be a big fan of it because, I mean, how much worse can it get, right? And I think he would win over the locker room because of his success with NMLS and with the Galaxy in general. I just want to throw out there that I... So if you look at LA Galaxy, that's clearly a team with talent and severe underachievement. Whereas you look at a club like Atlanta United currently severe lack of talent and no hope whatsoever for their games right and as bad as being an atlanta fan is right now knowing that you're probably not going to win any more games i think i'd rather be an atlanta fan right now than a galaxy fan because if i was a galaxy fan i would be banging my head against the wall every single second of these matches because look at the freaking talent that they have you got christian pavone you've got chicharito You've got veterans like Sasha Kleschen. You have internationals like Jonah Dos Santos and Sebastian Lachette. And you even have these great youngsters like Cameron Dunbar and Julian Araujo so, and Efren Alvarez. How are you not getting results with those players? I would take those players at Atlanta United in a heartbeat compared to what's going on right now. So bless their hearts. Bless the Galaxy fans' hearts. Like, good luck to you guys. I'm sure you're probably hoping GBS is gone soon if you can't figure it out. And again, he won, the, the Galaxy won by the skin of their teeth last night. But they were supposed to play on Wednesday night against the Colorado Rapids. And as Connor threw in at the last second from last week's podcast, the Rapids had to cancel another handful of games. They are now up to six games total that have been canceled. And by the end of the season, it's looking like they're only going to get 17 games in, whereas I believe all the other clubs are going to finish with 24. So maybe it's seven games that will be canceled. But the real question surrounding this that I want to ask you guys, and I'll go with, uh, I'll go with you first, Connor, and then Drew, should Colorado be allowed to qualify for the playoffs? Should they reach the point total or 
on points per game. What are your thoughts on this with them playing so fewer games than everybody else? Why shouldn't they be allowed to qualify? This is a this is just a general question. I have, I'm not going to argue on that. Well, like if you can get the points and you play X less games, I don't see a reason why you shouldn't qualify for the playoffs. Like, I think honestly, I think they should just do the Western Conference by points percentage. You know, maybe cut one of the FC Dallas games, one of the Nashville games, so that they aren't packing in their schedule at the end of the season. Make it a bit more fair in that sense. Uh, Because, well, I was going to say it's not necessarily their fault that they got COVID, but we don't know that for sure. And for all we know, they all went out partying one night. But I think if you can get the points, you qualify. If you can't get the points, too bad. Um, But I think when you get into the points percentage debate is when it gets a little murky let's say, because at that point, you're kind of hurting the teams who had to play a lot more games in a shorter schedule. And I don't know if that's necessarily fair. Yeah, Connor, I think you're dead on. Um, If you're talking about just general points, then for sure. I mean, if Colorado can somehow muster up enough points to get in the playoffs, given having played less games, then why not, right? If they earn it fair and square, get that, eighth spot or seventh spot or wherever they land in the playoffs and not having played the same amount of games then throw them in the playoffs but if you choose to do points per game which i think mls has talked about doing that's where it gets kind of weird right because you're they're not playing same amount of games those are lot potential losses or draws that aren't going against them so their points per game is going to be higher than some teams because they've played less games right So I think before I can make a definite statement on whether or not I think they should be in the playoffs, I think first I would need to know if it's by general points or points per game. Because if it's by just general points, then no question about it, let them in the playoffs. If it's points per game, I, I, oh man, I want to make a definite statement on that. I'm going to say points per game. I'm going to say no if it's points per game. Um, but then again, nothing's normal at this point of the year. So yes, yes, they should be allowed to make the playoffs. Yeah, personally, I'm, I mean, this could, this whole argument could be moot if they go on to get enough points to qualify regardless, which is extremely possible with basically every team in the league making the playoffs. I mean, they're only two points below the, the cutoff line. And they have six games in hand on that team, which is Vancouver. So this might not even be a relevant argument come time, end of the season. But should we get there, it's going to be really interesting to see what the league does, if teams will have a problem with it. But definitely something to keep an eye out on. But moving on to some of the games that happened this week, starting with Wednesday night, nothing, uh, at least for me personally, There wasn't really a single game that really stood out. But what stood out to me overall was all the upsets, especially after some of the teams we discussed on last week's podcast, namely LAFC and Portland. We spent a decent amount of time hyping those teams up, talking about how they were starting to find their swing. And what does LAFC do? They come out and they lose to Vancouver, 2-1. to 
And then what does Portland do? They lose to RSL, 2-1. to one. And then on top of that, another notable upset. Uh, Nashville beat Houston, 3-0. The biggest thing that I took away from that game was Nashville only possessed 27% of the ball. And still knocked the crap out of Houston. So good for Nashville. It was a very, very good name. A good game, I should say. A good win. Also want to point out, these three teams all lost on over the weekend. <laughs> After winning midweek. They all lost over the weekend. So, models of inconsistency. But I do want to ask you guys, looking at the standings here, some interesting developments, I'll say. Vancouver and Real Salt Lake are now tied on points at 21, although RSL does have a game in hand. So my question to you guys, at least for those two teams, is do you think either one of those teams will make it? Do you think both teams can make it? And then my other question is, for Nashville, who is just two points above the playoff line as well in their situation, can they also make the playoffs? So Drew, I'll start with you. These teams picked up these big midweek games. Like I said, they lost their games over this weekend, unfortunately. Who do you have making the playoffs in the West of those two teams? Do you think Nashville can make the playoffs? So out of the West, we're talking between Vancouver and RSL. Um, first off, I just want to like rant about the Vancouver Whitecaps. A couple of weeks ago, I picked them to be LAFC. They proceeded to lose like six to nothing, and then they come around and beat them two to one. So thanks Vancouver for making me look dumb and then proceeding to beat LAFC a couple of weeks later. You were just early. But you were just I, early in your prediction. That's all it was. Yeah, I wasn't wrong. I was early. There we go. I like that. Um, but out of those two teams, I mean, you're looking at the games remaining right in vancouver they have san jose seattle and portland and that answers your question right there vancouver is not going to make the playoffs because of the remaining schedule they got to deal with san jose you don't know if they're going to lose six to nothing if they're going to win seven to one and then you have two of the best teams in the west in seattle and portland um and then rsl they have fc dallas san jose and la galaxy so i think out of the West, I'm picking RSL to make in that final playoff spot just because of the teams that Vancouver has to play. And like you said, Vancouver is pretty inconsistent beating LAFC and then losing to the Galaxy. Um, so out of the West, I am saying that RSL is going to make the playoffs in that final spot. Um, but as far as Nashville goes, two points ahead of in that they're the ninth spot. Yeah. And then Atlanta United and Miami are right there. That's a congested East. Um but for Nashville, looking at the teams they have left to play, I think I think Nashville can do it. Yeah, there's not any game that's popping out to me as a game that I don't think they can win. Their last game against FC Dallas looks like it's gonna. They have two games against Dallas: one tomorrow night, and then decision day on uh, November fourth. They play Dallas again, but they have Montreal, Chicago, and New England left on their schedule. So there's not a game that just sticks out to me as one that they can't win. Um, especially after that win against Houston, but given it's the Houston Dynamo. So I think RSL will make the playoffs out of the West, and yes, I do think Nashville will make the playoffs. Connor, do you th- who who do you have making the playoffs of these three teams? Maybe all three, none of them? What what are your thoughts? Uh, well, look, I'm looking at the standings now, and first of all, how do Vancouver not have a single draw? That's incredible to me. They have zero draws this season. So how they manage that, I'll have no idea. But mm, at on the one hand, Vancouver's getting their starting keeper back. So 
Uh, I don't think Vancouver makes it. I think it's between RSL and Houston. Uh, maybe Colorado squeaks in as well because they're pretty arrested. That's a tough call. I'm going to say Colorado. If they can play. But, yeah, that's a bit of an asterisk. If they can play. If they can't play, I'll go RSL because they were so good last season. I think they'll hopefully find their form again. Uh, but who knows? It's MLS. You could have Houston win every game down the stretch and Portland lose every one and fall out of the playoffs. But, yeah, I'm going to go... I'm going to Real Salt Lake if Colorado can't play games. Now that we've said this, Vancouver is going to go on like a four-game winning streak and then sneak in the playoffs and like make a run to MLS Cup now. Guarantee it. Guarantee it. Our podcast, all we do is jinx things. So now Vancouver is going to go on an insane run. So you're welcome, Vancouver Whitecaps fans. Yeah, I my heart says that Vancouver is going to somehow pull this off and get into the playoffs. But yeah, looking looking at all the surrounding teams, I mean, I, first of all, I don't think RSL are going to make the playoffs. I think they've just been through too much this year. It's kind of hard to remember that their owner like had to leave and is like still in the process of selling the team. And we were just talking about Sam Johnson and his ridiculousness a week ago. So. They're, they've just been going through so much as a club. I, and you got to think that it's distracted the players just a little bit. You know, it's hard not to to take notice of the things happening there. So I don't think they can make it. I'm with you, Connor. I think Colorado, I mean, all they need is a couple wins, and then they're back in it. So Vancouver, my heart says they'll they'll pull it off, but my, my brain is telling me probably not. As for Nashville, I think they will make the playoffs. Chicago, Atlanta, Miami, below them. I would be surprised if Atlanta made it at this point. And I do think, I do want to correct myself from earlier. Nashville did not play over this weekend. They do have that game tomorrow night against Dallas. So maybe they can build off of that 3-1 win that they pulled off against Montreal, who is well above them in the standings. So looking, at least for me, like Nashville's gonna, to, going to get into the playoffs as an expansion team, which is really big. Still staying in the East, another huge game. Well, normally is a huge game, but really wasn't a huge game this time. But Toronto and Atlanta, a big game for the podcast, I'll say. Uh, Toronto won 1-0 with a Pablo Piotti header in the 89th minute. Just want to throw this out there that in the exact moment that Atlanta United conceded that goal, the Braves also gave up two runs on one hit. And I think that's when the Dodgers that was their first two runs. Oh, it was that they made it two two. So they did they did even things up. That single moment felt like someone took a very large spear and slowly just started pushing it through like my chest. So it was very, very fun experience. Uh one bright side though for Atlanta. Marcelino Moreno and Ezekiel Barco, their two active designated players, saw the field together for the first time all season. Somehow, Ezekiel Barco is still alive and capable of playing soccer, which everyone figured was impossible. And also, to top things off, Atlanta clinched the playoffs for Columbus and their best friends, Orlando City, with the loss. (laughs) Drew, was there anything you felt like you could take away from this game as an Atlanta fan? I know I was kind of distracted from the Braves game, but I definitely saw some fun moments. What what were your thoughts on the game? 
Yeah, I think the main point, right, is that Moreno and Barco, mainly just Barco, right, got on the field because I think you said it last last week that the whole Barco situation is a whole different can of worms that no one really understands what's going on. But he was on the field, so that's a positive we can take away. I remember I had just covered a Georgia, a Georgia soccer game. Uh, they lost to Tennessee. So I was leaving the soccer game. I just wrote my story. I was walking to my car. I was watching the Braves game on my phone. And then I see Will Smith. I think it was Will Smith get the two-run single. And seconds later, I get the notification. <laughs> Toronto scores. I'm like, oh, what minute is it? And I see 89th. I'm like, of course. Like, it couldn't have been 41st. Like, there's no way we're coming back from this. So I remember just alone in the Turner Soccer Complex at, like, I don't even know what time. Just pitch black dark staring at my oh. phone and feeling feeling that spear coming through me. So I remember that as well. But, Tears yeah, I mean, rolling the, down his face. <laughs> as I, yeah. It was it was a rough day, but yeah, seeing Moreno and Barco on the field together is a good sign. Um, again, it feels like I don't even know how how many games Atlanta went without having a DP in the starting eleven or even in the eighteen. I don't know how that's been. It's just weird to not see a DP on the field uh, changing the game for Atlanta when you have Joseph Martinez obviously hurt and you have. Almiron and just like the history of DP's history I say in air quotes given that the club is four years old but just that when you think of Atlanta DP's you think of big name players making big name impact in these games and not seeing them on the field is pretty weird but it's positive to see them do it um pretty funny that they clinched a spot for Orlando and Columbus who knocked Atlanta out of the playoffs in their first year that was the game where I figured out that this is this Zach Steffen guy was pretty good so that was pretty unfortunately really funny but yeah good seeing them playing on the field together for sure yeah i think the biggest positive to take away was getting moreno and barco out there it was the first time since pt martinez was on the team back in september that they had two designated players playing on the field at the same time so if there was a positive to take away it was it was that also it seems like marcelino moreno is already stepping up into a leadership role he was directing players on the field and he's only played like a hundred minutes at this point across two games. He didn't even make the 18 on Wednesday night because of rest, but Connor more so on the Toronto side of things. Obviously another three points is great. You guys had a very, very rotated lineup due to just regular rotation, but also lots of injuries. Iowa was out. Josie Altador was out. I think Justin Morrow was out as well. And we had six, regular players injured uh although i'm including achara in that and he's out for the season because of an acl injury but we were missing justin morrow josie altador alex bono chris mavinga iowa canola and eric savaletta so right there morrow altador mavinga akinola are four starters and they were all injured so that left a back line of omar gonzalez and maro simon which Best center back in MLS. No, Maybe I'm, I'm, passer. No, I'm totally trolling right now. Like, so hardcore. I think Simon is terrible. He's He can pass a ball. I'll give him that. It's <laughs> When it comes to actually defending, it's a bit of an issue. I, it's a good I thing he's he only should, a center back. I was going to say, I was, you beat me to this. <laughs> I don't think he should be a center back. I think he should be a defensive midfielder. Interesting. Personally. I think he fits the role with his ability to pass, and uh, he could get bailed out by 
negative 20 pace Omar Gonzalez and Chris Mavinga, who's incredible. It's funny you want Samana's defensive midfielder because you already have someone who fits the bill of someone who's lost a step defensively but can still pass really well. And that's Michael Bradley, which I wanted to mention. Jonathan Osorio got injured about 15 minutes into the game, forcing Michael Bradley to come on. He hasn't played in weeks for injury, uh, because of a in- knee injury of his own. What, what were your thoughts on Osorio leaving? What was I, I didn't follow up on his injury. What's the extent of his injury? How did you feel about Bradley having to come in? What did you think of Bradley's performance? And, and what about all these injuries for Toronto? Are you concerned coming down the stretch? Where, where's your mind at? I believe it was a hamstring injury is what I saw. I haven't seen a timetable yet, but they're off for a week. So they're probably going to let it sit for a little bit. But you're asking me my thoughts on injuries, and you forget I'm a Toronto FC fan. So all we do is have injuries nonstop, 24-7. It's rare that we don't have an injury, which is incredibly depressing. And there's usually multiple of them, and they're all muscle-related. It's never like an insane broken bone or, in Achara's case, a torn ACL. It's always four to five weeks, strained hamstring. He's pulled a muscle in his hamstring. He's pulled a calf. He's pulled a quad. It's always something like that, and it's going to come to bite them, uh, potentially, if these injuries keep piling up, and losing Osorio is not somebody who you'd want to lose, but getting Bradley back is obviously huge. Uh, but yeah, it's, of course it's worrying, but this team just played five matches in 16 days. So, and they didn't lose a single one of them. They got points in every single match. They're still, I think nine unbeaten, which, you know, if you can play five matches in 16 days, if I'm unbeaten on that stretch, I'm happy. And an aging team coming out unbeaten with getting some pretty crucial guys back in Auro Jr., and Michael Bradley, I'll take it. But it's something they're going to have to watch down the stretch and hopefully address in the offseason, as I've hoped they do for the past infinite years. But, yeah. Do you guys want to move on to Montreal-Miami? All right. Montreal beat Miami somehow. Uh, Breck Shea scored. Uh, Bojan. Boyan. I always struggle with his name. Boyan? I think you can just say either. Okay. Well, Bullion uh, scored a banger on the first goal and had an assist on the Max uh, Maximiliano Aruti goal. Uh, but, yeah, what did you guys think of that game? I thought it was a big win for Montreal just in the fact that you look at their talent on paper between these two teams. And I think in that respect, it was a, a pretty sizable upset. A huge win for Montreal because they dropped that game against Nashville earlier in the week, but then they got these three points. So there's, they're sitting slightly comfortably is what I would call it at eighth place with 23 points, uh, just two behind Red Bulls and two ahead of Nashville. So Montreal is looking like they're going to make the playoffs in Thierry Henry's first year's manager. Granted, again, most teams in the league are making the playoffs. So it's kind of a sham in that regard, but we don't have to talk about that. Um, one of the bigger things that I'm taking away from this, though, is just Miami and how not put together they are. It's I know it's a pandemic that everybody's dealing with, and so in that respect, you kind of have to, I think, give a little break to the expansion teams. But at the same time, Nashville are looking like they're going to make the playoffs. And again, 
Miami went out. They, they spent all this money. They got players like Higuain and Matuidi and the other Higuain and Rodolfo Pizarro. But those aren't the guys helping this team. It's Breck Shea, of all people. And I believe me, I love Breck Shea. But if he's scoring all your goals for you, something is not happening. It's Lewis Morgan, who, good for him. I think he's up to five goals and five assists. I would say he's been Miami's most important player this season. And that's great that you found someone to fill that role. But why is it Lewis Morgan? Why is it not these other high-priced stars, these name stars that you have? So something is not going right in Miami. I don't know if it's a coaching issue with Alonzo. Maybe he's not able to get his message across clearly or what the reasoning is. But I think we have to start asking whether or not this first season for Miami is a failure. And and at least for me, so far it is. If they sneak into the playoffs, I'll give them a lot of credit for that. But as of right now, not looking good for the first season. Drew, what are your thoughts on Montreal or Miami or this game or, or what, you know, whatever? Yeah, it's funny you bring up Breck Shea because he scored two goals and two games now. Uh, this one, and then he scored, I think it was... It was against Atlanta. The Atlanta, yeah, they tied one-to-one. Of course it was against Atlanta. Of course Breck Shea scores against Atlanta. <laughs> it was, yeah, he scored in the 80th minute in the morning. He scored in the 83rd. Um, but yeah, going, my focus is mainly on Miami, and I think it's because, right, expansion teams, and I think we've talked about this before, how the Atlanta Uniteds of the world, the LAFCs of the world, kind of ruin expansion teams in their first season you expect you expect them to be terrible you expect fc cincinnati type situations but with atlanta lafc coming into the scene and actually being pretty successful in their first year you expect maybe having that become a little more normalized and given the money miami has spent i think it felt like it felt very 2017 right that you felt like Miami was going to be the Atlanta United and then Nashville was going to be the Minnesota United. Like if any team, expansion team, is going to make the playoffs, it was going to be Miami, given the money they spent, just the talent around the club, and just the hype up into it. And given, again, they haven't been totally knocked out of the playoffs, uh, but I think it's an interesting conversation given how big the playoffs are, that even with an expanded playoffs, Miami's going to kind of have to fight for their lives just to sneak in in one of the bottom spots. So I think it is a failure. It's weird to think that, given the pandemic and everything going on, that thinking an expansion team not making the playoffs is a failure. But when you spend this money, when they make it very clear that they're out to win from match one, they're not here to build for a couple of years and then see you later. Um, they build a team to win now, and they're not winning right now. They're one of the worst teams in the league. Um, so I think it is a failure, but I'm excited to see what they can do next year. I think their recent results have been a little better. I'm trying to pull it up right now. Um, not really at all. Well, they went three games unbeaten, right? They beat the Red Bulls. They beat Houston. They drew Atlanta before losing to Montreal. So maybe these next, they have Orlando and FC Dallas to end the season. Uh, they play Saturday and then next Wednesday. So maybe these next two draw matches can, they can get some kind of result to build on for next year. But I'm with you, Josh. I'm thinking this year is a failure for Miami. And two other things I want to add to what, you just said, Drew, um, you know, the whole success failure, making the playoffs, not making the playoffs. I think it's even more of a failure this year when you look at 10 teams from the East make the playoffs. It means only four don't. So if you're one of those four, you've had a very awful season. So, and, and we're talking Cincinnati and D.C. are probably at least half of those four teams not going to make it. So if Miami's lumped in with that, I think that makes it a failure. And also, you're mentioning LAFC in Atlanta. 
you can also throw in Orlando City into that mix in their first season as an expansion team. And the reason why is because Paul McDonough was with Orlando City when that team was built. He helped build the roster through the draft. He helped select the head coach, which was Adrian Heath, who we know can be successful in this league, as he's proven with Minnesota United. And he helped bring in players like Kaka and all that all that good stuff. And up until this season, Orlando's best season in the league was their expansion season, even though they didn't make the playoffs that year either. And we already know what McDonough did with his time in Atlanta. So he does. it doesn't seem like he's the issue with Miami. He provided the players. He's come in and helped build what is a good team on paper. I think it's just disappointing to see the dysfunction, the disconnectivity from top to bottom with this club so far. Hopefully they figure it out. I think in order for the league to continue to grow, you're going to need a team like Miami in the market that it's in to be successful if you want to grow the league or else. What was the point of expanding into Miami in the first place, especially after already failing years ago to Miami Fusion? Anything you guys want to add to Miami Montreal before we get into some of our player of the week and standings and games to watch? Um, no, but I will transition us to players of the week because I like to go first with my player of the week. And it's related to this match. MLS Multiplex Slack, you're welcome. I'm going to pick Brexhay. Yes. He is the best, and we love him over at MLS Multiplex. And yeah, I I don't know what else there is to say. He's just he's great. He went from what? I think he was playing was it USL or CPL last season, and now he's tearing up. Whoa, man, you are Wasn't oh, he? what a low blow. He was playing for Atlanta United. Oh, so the equivalent. This, I know you didn't mean to like roast the crap out of Atlanta United, but you definitely did. It was such a great burn. Oh, where was he? He wasn't in an MLS, I believe, right? Before Atlanta, he was in Vancouver, which is also, I guess, if you want to call them a CPL team. <laughs> whoa, whoa. He, um, <laughs> he helped them make that... Uh, Champions League run. He scored a couple goals in their CCL run. I think they got knocked out in the semifinals to Tigres, like every other MLS club. But he, the Whitecaps were good at one point. I know it's hard to remember, but he was there, and they were good. His greatest, his single greatest soccer moment happened with Vancouver in the Champions League, and that's when he did the dead fish celebration from FIFA after scoring the goal. <laughs> that was that. Hang that in the Louvre. Like put that in the Soccer Hall of Fame. Yeah, you're right. Brexhay, he didn't play in a lower league like that, but he was a free agent from <laughs> January to June. So I think that's he, he pretty was, good going. He was coming off an ACL injury, so I can understand why it took so long for a team to select him, to be fair to Brexhay. Well, great story. Uh, we love him over at MLS Multiplex, and his golden locks are legendary. Who are your player of the weeks? Yeah, <laughs> Brick Jay going from free agent to Connor's player of the week on the podcast. Pretty awesome <laughs> jump climb. for Mr. Shea there. Yeah, he's really made it now. Brick, uh, if you're listening to this, we want you on the podcast, please. If Brick Shea listens to the podcast, he's the only person we need listening. <laughs> if audience of one is Brick Shea, I'm totally cool with that. Um, but my players of the week, so I'm going with two players of the week, one for last week's weekday games and then one from this past weekend's game uh 
it was hard not to pick Mubtar from Nashville, but I think he actually won the award. So I'm going to go a little different. I'm picking Nick Lima. Uh, he got two goals against the Galaxy, so he was my weekday player of the week. And then for this past weekend, I'm picking Ethan Finley. Uh, he got two goals against Houston, which unfortunately for Minnesota United, they proceeded to blow that 2-0 lead and draw 2-2. And Minnesota only has one win in their last seven matches. That one win was against FC Cincinnati. So after I had high hopes for the Loons, after making a little run to U.S. Open Cup last year, struggling right now right before playoffs. So my players of the week, Nick Lima and Ethan Finley. Josh, who did you vote for for players of the week? Yeah, nothing interesting for me this week. I ended up voting for the players that won with Hani Mukhtar and uh, Boyan Kurchic. I did select Chris Odoyatsum as the second pick from this weekend's game because he scored the game winner for uh, for DC United over FC Cincinnati. And really good for him because I believe it was two years since his cancer diagnosis and he's one of those young players that's lighting it up for dc united right now so really good for him to score that goal really happy to see that and then i can't remember off the top of my head who i had selected second on wednesday's game which i'm trying to scroll down on my twitter page but of course it's being slow so maybe i'll throw it in later when we get there but Moving on from that, from our uh, from our players of the week, we've got a quick standings update. Uh, obviously, Toronto is still leading the way in the league with 41 points and in the East with 41 points. Philadelphia Union uh, won about an hour ago, it was, over New England Revolution, 2-1. to one. Another fantastic goal from Anthony Fontana, by the way. He's another youngish player, lighting it up, another Union Academy product. But Philadelphia are in second with 38 points. Columbus are in third with 34 points and then in the west still not much of a change seattle and portland lead the way with 31 points sporting kansas city is right behind them with 30 points and lafc is sneaking up and forth with their 25 points that's that quick standings update anything you want to add to that either of you i just wanted to ask have we talked about brendan aronson yet his transfer yes we mentioned originally when oh danny was no that was far away i scrolled past i was about to say danny musovsky was my choice for wednesday from the second but i scrolled a little too far uh no we we briefly mentioned uh brendan aronson to salzburg back when it was reported but not yet official but you're correct connor it was made official this week yeah so shout out to brendan aronson he's going to rb leipzig not leipzig rb salzburg in january under jesse marsh playing champions league soccer Hopefully playing. Yeah, I don't know if he'll be important enough yet, but maybe. Uh, It's Lucas Cavallini, by the way, who I selected. So I got a a Canadian player in there for you on Wednesday night. So he was my pick behind Hani Mukhtar. Hmm. Yeah, Vancouver, he's he's been an interesting player in Vancouver this year. He scored at least one. I can't remember if he scored both goals for them in their win over LAFC. That was definitely a, a contributing factor in selecting him. Yeah, look, he's not as bad as Chicharito. So that is true. as long as you're not at that level, I think it's not a completely failed transfer. And he's still relatively relatively young. Oh, one thing that we, the three of us, talked about in the Slack earlier this week, uh, Caden Clark scored his second career goal in his second career game, and that came against Toronto. Stole a point at the last second. Um, he 
has two goals in three games. Chicharito has one goal in like 10 games. So there's anything you need to know about how just awful things are going for Javier Hernandez. There you go. Uh, Movie, did you want to say something? Yes, I was going to say, do we want to do a goals of the week? I Can nominate you come up with Breck, some off the top of your head? Do I have one? Breck Shea. I nominate Breck Shea as my goal. That's the first one that I can think of. <laughs> it has to be Breck hey, Shea. That was a good cross from Lewis Morgan, too, by the way, on that. That was a clean finish as well to go near post. That was a clean finish. Do we have to pick I'm go- Do we have to pick Caden Clark because everyone was drooling over his goal midweek? I was going to say, as much as it pains me to say it because it happened against Toronto, you have to pick Caden Clark because that was a banger of a goal. Uh, but yeah, he, that was, oh, that was nasty. Mm, you know what? I'll throw in Anthony Fontana's goal from about an hour and a half ago. He chipped it right over Matt Turner. It was very, very disrespectful. So I'm, I'm very here for it. Andrew? I don't, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to pick a goal of the week. I'm saying with the New York Red Bulls, but I'm saying Brian White's equalizer against Orlando City. It wasn't a phenomenal goal, but it was like in the 95th minute of extra time. So they stole a point on the road. So I'm picking that just because of late equalizer. Hani Mukhtar's free kick on Wednesday night. The right footer snuck it in on the near post. Yep, that, that was, was a also goal. Really, yep, I remember that. That yeah, was a that good was... goal too. That's why I picked put these in the outline. I, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we said we would last week and then promptly forgot <laughs> um but let's hit games to watch because we've been going for 70 minutes and i need to get some work done tonight and drew has an assignment due in an hour and a half uh, um what are your games to watch because you've stolen mine i stole yours all of you have there, there are some <laughs> there are some good games i think there was another one in there that i saw that i didn't even mention i i sort of have two that i'm super interested in uh first is toronto philadelphia on Saturday, one because we talked about it recently. With, I, I think I selected this game as when Toronto would finally lose. Whether or not that comes true, we'll see. Both teams are playing pretty consistently, so that should be a good matchup. And obviously, lots of implications with the East. And then the other game I'm interested in seeing is again Montreal against NYCFC. New York City have not looked really that good at all this year and i think montreal can really capitalize on 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 winning this past week uh this past weekend that big win over miami so i'm really interested to see and again that's also playoff some big playoff implications in the east so those are kind of my games to watch drew what do you have for this week yeah i'm going out of the east and going to the west i'm saying a seattle portland is my game of the week i'm trying to figure out right now what exactly day that it's thursday night so oh man i'm gonna be staying up late it's a 10 30 on a thursday so man these west coast east coast things man but yeah i'm staying in seattle portland obviously right because cascadia rivalry mls all that but they're also fighting for that number one seed in the west and it's the only game on thursday so everyone gets to rest up they get to have their coffee at 9 30 at night just to make it through this game and Late night MLS always proves some action. You add that on with that, the Cascadia rivalry and a potential number one spot in the West on the line. I think it's going to be a really good game. So my game of the week is Thursday night. It's Seattle, Portland. Connor, what's your game of the week? Well, I was going to go with Toronto, Philadelphia, because obviously. Uh, then I was going to go with Seattle, Portland, and then obviously. Uh, but I am debating between two. I'm debating between Inter-Miami versus Orlando City. And LAFC versus LA Galaxy. 
I'm going to go with Orlando versus Inter-Miami because I think this decides whether or not Inter-Miami make the playoffs. And it's going to be a tough match against a playoff team. So we'll see whether or not Gonzalo Higuain can pull out something special. Speaking of, he picked up a red card at the end of the other game, so he can't even play against Orlando. I was about to throw that in there, and you provided the perfect segue. Yeah, so Gonzalo Higuain doing Gonzalo Higuain things, and Alex Windley, a fellow contributor at MLS Multiplex, was not too pleased on Twitter about him getting the captain's armband based on the fact that he then got a red card, probably justly, but... Anybody have anything you want to add to this episode before, Drew, you take us out? I guess before I close it out, I just thought about, remember that time when Higuain missed the penalty kick against, I think it was Philadelphia, and then proceeded to try and attack the entire Philadelphia <laughs> Union team? That's my only Higuain Wasn't that his memory, first game in MLS? I think it was his first game. I think game. so. Start Which, um, Felipe Cardenas, our athletic reporter that covers Atlanta United, brought up a good point, just like how MLS players view these like European studs coming over. So Higuain, pretty interesting time in Miami. Follow Alex Winley on Twitter for her awesome takes. And speaking of Twitter, follow us all on Twitter for our wonderful takes about Toronto, Atlanta, and just other sports. Uh, you can follow Connor at CWG Somerville, Josh at Josh underscore Boland, myself at underscore Drew Hubbard. Um, just to get a little social media taste and as we put our thoughts out there during games and with MLS news and another great way to keep up with MLS news is to visit the website mlsmultiplex.com and follow the website on Twitter at mlsmultiplex um, as our entire team of writers and contributors keep cranking out some really good content for the website as MLS regular season's winding down but playoffs will be here before we know it so they're doing an awesome job of keeping us up with that and please as always leave us reviews we love hearing how we can get better and love hearing from you guys so please leave a review and again thank you guys so much for listening and be sure to tune in next week thank you for listening to the mls multiplex podcast check out all of the contributors written work at mlsmultiplex.com